This is Geeks and Jacks. Hello and welcome back to Geeks and Jacks. Episode 97, nearing 100. Should be there either by the end of this month or the start of February. Recording January 11th, 2022. This is Ryan Sullivan. Glad to have you listeners here. Before getting to this episode, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. So head on down to those places. Search for Geeks and Chucks. Plenty of content awaits you. So definitely got a fair share of TV and movie stuff to talk about, several deaths that occurred in Hollywood, uh, talk about what ESPN might be trying to do with its baseball lineup, the whole Super Sunday, Super Wild Card Weekend thing, and maybe one or two video game things for this uh, episode of Geeks and Jacks. And actually, before I start doing all that, going a little bit on a small rant per se now over the last couple of years there's been this push to get certain holiday or kind of holiday type things going on and obviously you know capitalism and all that nothing wrong with that exactly but we are pushing that point I think where it's getting too early to put stuff out and not even a week into the new year last week and I'm seeing Valentine's stuff already I mean sure I don't mind the idea of romance and love and all that but but we just started 2022 can't this wait until I don't know after Martin Luther King Jr. Day or something along that line. I mean, I was in a candy aisle in one of, in, in in a store, and most like the Valentine stuff was wiped out. I don't know what the exact expiration date is on specific chocolates, but I can't imagine it being uh, lasting longer than a month. It's just I don't know, maybe two months on some. I don't know. But it's so ridiculous seeing all this stuff out. I mean, it's pretty similar to what's being seen with uh, Halloween stuff being put out at the end of August, early September. You're seeing Christmas stuff, probably like start of November. So, really ridiculous. So, I don't know where exactly to start on this, but, you know, last week talked about the uh, passing of both John Madden and Dan Reeves and the start of the new year we've already seen three three passings of of Hollywood people and I guess the first one this one honestly I've I kind of forgot about it and it didn't hit my mind until I think like not too long after recording the episode 
the first one to go with is uh, uh, Betty White, and they just fu- they just put out what what she passed away from uh, passed away from a from a stroke. Now, I mean, obviously you have health issues and all that. You know, when you get older and older, you know, it'd probably be a lot more difficult to recover from a health issue, especially when you're someone as old, old as white. Actually, she passed away uh, New Year's Eve. My apologies. But she was someone that was doing all sorts of stuff in movies, in television for for such a long time, you going all the way back to to the fifties, maybe the maybe the forties a little bit, and she had numerous TV shows. I mean, probably her most notable would be the Golden Girls. I mean, I she definitely had a little bit of resurgence. I feel like in the twenty uh, tens, a little bit with doing like some TV shows, doing some movies, but she she hung around for such a long time. You know, and I think a lot of people wanted her to turn a hundred before she passed away. I mean, kind of like a kind of like a pioneer, something in a way, being one of the big names early on. Maybe not the biggest in recognizability early on, but you know, <sighs> pretty sad. Very, very sad, and I guess one of the bigger things right now uh, is this one came out of came out of nowhere uh, recently. The uh, passing of Bob Saget at the age of uh, sixty-five, and actually there was something uh, that he did in p- talking about Betty White and paying tribute, I guess. Um, you know, Bob Saget, you know, comedian, if you were to know his best work, it was probably from what he did with, um, Full House being the patriarch, um, the widower, uh, who gets help from, uh, from his brother-in-law and a friend taking care of his three daughters, and you have um, also America's Funniest Home Videos, which he was the first host back in 89. Did a lot of stand-up throughout the years. He tried his own hand at directing, did movies such as Dirty Work, cameos, and small roles. You know, later on in his career, I mean, no foul play, um, in Florida, just seemed like maybe like a health issue or something, which bringing up dirty work. I mean, nobody knew about Norm McDonald's uh, cancer. I'm not sure if Saget knew what the issue was at that time, but who knows? Maybe it's something similar to that. Maybe maybe there's a health issue that we didn't know about uh, Saget. I'm sure something will come up, but. You know, and some of the Full House cast paying tribute to him and just 
definitely be saddened by all that. Uh, then w- one of the bigger deaths to come out of all this um, over the last week or so is uh, Sidney Poitier. Now, why is Sidney Poitier such a big deal? Because he was one of the big names and really broke the color barrier to being one of the biggest African-American stars in Hollywood back in the 60s. With stuff such as To Serve With Love, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, you know, passing away at the uh, age of 94. Actually, kind of see if there's a cause of death. Just they're saying on stylecaster.com natural causes actually according to a statement from Forbes to Forbes and actually as far as breaking the color barrier I mean one of the big things also is you know interracial marriage to to his uh, wife of 46 years Joanne uh, Shimkus he Bahama Bahamian Bahama descent, I guess. Win the Academy Award back in 1964. I actually want to look at um, look at his resume a little bit because he he really did a lot of big things throughout the uh, 60s and 70s. There's a movie called In the Heat of the Night. Where is the... Trying to... Trying to find all of it. All filmography. As an actor, did 55 roles. Was a producer for a few. So some of his last stuff actually came in the early 2000s. Actually, 2001 was the last time he did anything. The Jackal, with he did Jackal with Bruce Willis. He did another Sir With Love movie. Sneakers, that's interesting. Wow, an 11-year wait of, between movies. Piece of the action... Bill Cosby, that's crazy. Up, Uptown Saturday Night. Let's see Buck and the Preacher. They call me Mr. Tibbs. In the Heat of the Night. Greatest story ever told. I'm assuming the long, sh- the long ships or Lilies of the Field got him an Academy Award. Going all the way back to 1947, actually. Starting with a small, uncredited role in Sepia Cinderella. Did a couple TV stuff, but nothing... Probably just like an episode where he was like a guest star or something. But yeah, it just... Looks like a bunch of small stuff at first... Until at least 1960, from the sounds of it. 
it started to become. I mean, that's just how big of a deal it was, and to see, you know, kind of like divert, you know, a little bit of diversity at the time, and you know, maybe some of the racial tensions that occurred during that time as well. But you know what? You know, it is a shame for all three of them, uh, Poitier, Saget, and White. You know, you lose legends. That's unfortunately what happens. Very, very, very unfortunate. So, moving on. So, the national championship game for college football ended probably about 10, 15 minutes ago. And Georgia Bulldogs, they win their first... uh, National championship since 1980, 14 and one for the year, beating number one ranked Alabama. I wonder if just a lot of people, and this is just something that I'm I'm sure I'm not the only person thinking it, but how many people probably grew tired of Alabama's dominance? Sometimes it feels nice to see them get punched in the mouth and the dagger being a game-sealing pick-six late in the game and Georgia just running it for for a score. 33-18, the last time they won the national championship in 80, a freshman in Herschel Walker crazy to believe but he had an unbelievable uh, season back in 1980 a 12-0 team by the way as well and back then every game was played before the middle of January which goes into a small little rant that I'm going to have about the uh, college football and really this goes into the college basketball realm as well when it comes to seeing uh, all this stuff. What What is it that makes these games take forever? And why not have them at more appropriate times so people aren't, especially on the East Coast, and maybe Central Time as well, why can't these games be played at like 7 o'clock? or maybe 6.30, and I've said this with, I probably have said this a good while ago on this podcast, but the NFL gets it right with the Super Bowl. 6.30 showtime, the game's done by 10, 10.30 at night. You have NBA games that go on until, jeez, I don't know, 11.30, midnight. You have Major League Baseball games, Jeez, you think you think it's bad at times for the NBA? Sometimes I'm gonna be with the World Series games. There might be games where they go until freaking midnight. Seriously, I think the NHL's tried to alleviate some of it with eight o'clock games for the Stanley Cup, but uh, hard telling, not knowing because uh, you know I'm not the biggest hockey fan. But yeah, as far as national championship, it, it's it's bad when they can't even get people a chance 
to watch it on the East Coast and in the Central time. I mean, college basketball, you start these games after 9 o'clock at night on Mondays. Just it's kind of it's kind of sad to see this because you know there's I mean you got kids you got people that have to work Tuesday and just it's hard to put into words that's just my take on the whole thing but end of college football see what entails in August so how about the NFL who wants to coach. Matt Nagy getting fired from the Chicago Bears. Not a huge shock. This team has struggled mightily on offense. And there's times where the defense can only do so much or they underachieve. Even though Nagy got into the playoffs twice in his four years, it just looked pretty bad. And I believe they also got rid of their general manager, Ryan Pace. And I know Pace was not liked because when you have guys such as Matt Forte ripping on you and other former Chicago Bear players ripping you, you know you're on the hot seat quite a bit from former players of the organization and probably some of the lifelong fans. The Bears are just simply a tortured franchise and considering the fact that they haven't been to a Super Bowl in about 15 years, they haven't won anything since the 85 season. It's just crazy how things are for the organization. The fact that they keep switching quarterbacks. The fact that they produce good players on defense, but it's never enough altogether. And actually, for their game, they lost to Minnesota. So I believe... Chicago season ended 6-11. and 11, And I want to say Minnesota was 8-9. and Just want to take a look for a brief second. 8-9 and nine Vikings, 6-11 and 11 Bears. 31-17 was the final, but 8-9 and nine was not good enough for, uh, for Minnesota. And maybe a little shocking, but not too shocking. Getting rid of Mike Zimmer and general manager Rick Spielman. I think when you look at Mike Zimmer's coaching tenure there, in a nutshell, the first couple years, he had to work with the hand he was dealt with, given that Adrian Peterson was suspended after week one of the 2014 season, his first year as a coach. The big whiff in the 2015 playoffs, that missed field goal, and that was 10-9, I believe it was, losing to Seattle on the on a missed gimme kick. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater being hurt, and kind of an underachieving defense in 2016. 2017 team getting as close as they could to the championship game, well, getting to it, and trying to get a sniff of the Super Bowl, getting blown out by Philadelphia, similar to how they got blown out by the Giants in 2000. 2018, I think probably one of the factors over the last few years is the play of their offense a little bit. Although, 
you can't give too much crap to Kirk Cousins for playing pretty good football in his four years with the team. It's from 4,000 in, I believe, three of his uh, four years. Good completion rates, thrown 30 or more touchdowns in three of those four years. Not a guy that gets picked off, though I think some in those games came at costly moments. They made it to the playoffs uh, with him in 2019. They won a game. Ultimately, they lost to uh, San Francisco in the second game of the playoffs. Probably just underachieving defense, and not much you can really do with the health of the offense, though they did put up some pretty good stats offensively. Now, you have a 9-8 and team in Miami. A winning record. They were able to beat uh, New England. They were able to beat them 33-24. to But surprisingly, and for a shock for a lot of people, the uh, Dolphins got rid of their head coach, Brian Flores. Three years in the uh, league. And two straight years of winning records. I think that's what baffles people. How does this guy... Uh, get this team and just do well for two straight years, two straight winning seasons. Some say animosity, especially with the handling of Tua Tagovailoa. I look at it as a team kind of regressing in a number of spots. You know, for a team that did really well on defense in 2020, uh, one of the glaring flaws was giving up quite a bit of yards and a bit of rushing touchdowns. They did pretty well uh, passing-wise, not giving up any passing touchdowns and being in the top ten. Uh, this year, they struggled a bit. Nothing to where they were like dead last or anything for that matter, but a bit of regression here and there. And uh, He's not an offensive guy at all. But not really any consistency as far as as far as passing the ball. Their run game has been kind of atrocious the last couple of years. You're not getting anything good out of there. I hope people aren't judging it based on on race or anything like that because just it, the team didn't look all that sharp. And they had two straight years of opportunities to make the playoffs. But they choked. The Dolphins choked in those games. They choked last week, losing to Tennessee. And I believe it was the Colts or Chargers winning that eliminated them from postseason contention. And you had the opportunity to win the final game of the year and ensure a playoff spot. And you choke. Miami has not seen the playoffs often in the last 20 years, only appearing twice. Now, there's no doubt there probably will be one or two more coaches that will get fired. There's a lot of question to whether uh, Joe Judge of the Giants gets gets fired. Hard to tell, but I, th- I, I would imagine he gets one more chance because of what he did in 2020. Granted, 6-10 and 10 is not good, but given how weak the NFC East was, yeah. 
Uh, but you never know. I mean, for all we know, the Maris could fire him. But yeah, as far as Flores, uh, Flores goes, I think he'll get an opportunity to coach somewhere else. It's not like he had this abysmal of a group. That's all I'm going to say on that. So, getting into the games, Denver Broncos held a lead and then gave up a fumble, and Kansas City recovered it for a touchdown. So, Kansas City, second seed in the uh, AFC 12-5 year. Uh, one of the guys actually got fired. Actually, before I forget, 7-10 Broncos, they got rid of Vic Fangio. They did well enough to begin the year. The defense held its own, and then too many issues on defense. The inconsistency as far as throwing the ball and passing the ball. There's questions into who they could potentially get. Uh, San Francisco's in the playoffs, and maybe Jimmy Garoppolo goes there because there's definitely something. There's definitely a team that will want him as they focus on uh, Trey Lance. Philadelphia is in the playoffs, 9-18, but getting embarrassed by Dallas, 12-5 for the year, 51-26 Dallas. Dak Prescott with a huge game, throwing five touchdowns, and Gardner Minshew showing some worth maybe to a to a team, throwing a couple of scores. Hopefully... In the case of Philadelphia, they get Miles Sanders back in time for the playoffs. Dallas faces San Francisco, and Philadelphia faces Tampa. Kansas City will have uh, Pittsburgh. So, Washington, a lot more emphasis on field goals, and their only touchdown coming against coming from uh, Antonio Gibson. Definitely a nightmare season over for New York, four and thirteen for the year. Washington seven and ten. Definitely some disappointment on both teams. Some hype for New York, obviously, and for a playoff team last year for uh, Washington. Definitely not a good way to end the season. And I think the hype for Taylor Heineke from the fans, people do need to sit down. Guy can't really muster much all the with the consistency. He's just not a consistent player. So Cincinnati Bengals dropped to fourth fourth seed uh, in a 21-16 loss to Cleveland. But then again, you don't have Joe Mixon. You don't have uh, Joe Burrow. So all things considered, you know, you hope that they're back in time for the playoffs, which I think they will. And obviously Case Keenum, taking over for Baker Mayfield as he had surgery, I believe, on his shoulder. The Ernest Johnson showing some uh, good running altogether. So, overall, definitely a disappointing year for uh, Cleveland. And definitely the fans getting a bit restless considering the hype that they've been given the last three years or so. Squeaking by in overtime, 9-7-1 Pittsburgh with their win against Baltimore. Baltimore 8-9 for the season. In the end, you'll wonder the health of Baltimore, all, all things considered. 
big running out of them as usual. Uh, Baltimore and Tyler Huntley. Eh, not the greatest of games. Threw a couple interceptions. It's not the last dance for Ben Roethlisberger. Kind of picked up a little bit late in the game. It's just a matter of you know, any given Sunday, can they beat Kansas City? I don't think so, but strange things do happen. Uh, Detroit getting a, a rare win against Green Bay and doing it at home. Some play out of Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. Probably definitely to keep eye and keep uh, Rodgers fresh a little bit. Decent running here, so they'll definitely have uh, have a fresh set of bodies for uh, when they play uh, next week. Uh, well, divisional round to be exact. Jared Goff had a respectable game. Not the biggest running game altogether, but they were able to. Uh, the defense was able to get a couple interceptions, so. That says something. So three thirteen and one Detroit, thirteen and four Green Bay. So this one came out of nowhere, but when you think about it, this is something my own brother told me. The Jaguars have had Indianapolis's number since two thousand fourteen when the Colts come to Jacksonville. Carson Wentz pedestrian game. Jonathan Taylor. Kind of a pedestrian game, too. 77 yards rushing. Trevor Lawrence. Pretty good game. No interceptions. Threw for two scores. A roller coaster year and a crazy one for Jacksonville. The question is, who will want to take over as the coach? Not the most lucrative job, but any way to fix that team. 3-14 3-14 uh, Jaguars for the year. 9-8 Colts. Steelers winning eliminated the Colts. Tennessee Titans play a tight game against the Houston Texans. Four touchdowns thrown by Ryan Tannehill. Both their running backs, uh, Dante Foreman and Dontrell Hilliard, combined for a little over 120 yards. 69 from Foreman. 57 Hilliard. They hope to get Derrick Henry back. I'll tell you what, if he's ready for the playoffs, it's going to be scary. And potentially the team to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. But they do need to make sure their defense is very, very prepared whenever that time comes in the divisional round. Otherwise, Davis Mills, pretty respectable game. It's just a matter of having a good run game and a defense that won't give up so easily. Kind of a inconsistent year altogether for Mills, but he's not as bad as people think. 12-5 uh, Titans and 4-13 Texans. So New Orleans needed to win to have a chance in the uh, to get to get a playoff spot in the NFC. And Trevor Simeon didn't throw many yards, but two touchdowns. Some big running out of Alvin Kamara. And unfortunately, when you look at it all, 
It was all for nothing. Matt Ryan ends the season on a okay note. Bad run game altogether. And not really any big name stats for any of his receivers outside of this gauge guy. 9 for 126 in the score. Saints end their season 9 and 8 and 7 and 10 Falcons. The big thing being the San Francisco 49ers squeaking out a victory after being down 17 to nothing in the second quarter, coming back and winning 27-24 in overtime. Jimmy Garoppolo put up 300 plus yards and a score, but unfortunately two picks. Good running out of Eli Mitchell. Spreading the ball around to Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, uh, Jawan Jennings with some touchdowns. Matthew Stafford, three touchdowns, but unfortunately no interception. Uh, two interceptions, excuse me. And their run game, despite Cam Akers returning, uh, mediocre. Defense gave up quite a bit, too. And the Rams, 12-5 and for the year. San Francisco, 10-7. and So the Rams will have the Cardinals, who lost to the Seattle Seahawks, 38-30. and 11-6 uh, Cardinals, 7-10 Seahawks. Their first losing season in uh, 10 years. Russell Wilson, 238-3 scores. Huge running out of Rashad Penny, 190 uh, for rushing yards and a score. I don't know if any team will want to take him uh, in a trade or not, but I think this year he might have showed his worth unless Seattle wants him to be the starter. No interceptions out of Kyler Murray, but only one touchdown thrown. And James Conner with... uh, rushing score. Kind of a disappointing way to end the season, but hey, division division rival in the playoffs, it's going to feel extra special. Though they do have to go on the road to L.A. And actually, speaking of L.A., there's a lot of questions into whether or not uh, uh, the stadium, SoFi Stadium, will host the Super Bowl because of COVID. A lot of COVID cases on the rise throughout the country and potential alternate locations include Texas for AT&T Stadium. So, see what happens during the next month or so. It's winter. Hard to know whether or not people are having COVID or if it's just flu shot, you know, flu issues or just a nasty cough or cold. But can't can't rule out the flu, but you can't always say it's just the cold. It could be COVID. You never know. Hard to tell. Uh, Buffalo getting a big win against uh, the New York Jets. Pitiful performance out of uh, Zach Wilson and the run game. No one looked good. Josh Allen couple scores, and Devin Singletary getting hot at the right time, doing some pretty good rushing, and whether it's the rushing yards or scoring touchdowns, he has become 
their lead back, and hopefully they can utilize him heavily during their game against New England. Which, by the way, uh, the home game, three pass attempts by Mac Jones. Actually, looking at that, by the way, uh, Mac Jones looked okay. But, and the run game, the run game can at least score. I believe Damian Harris has about 15 touchdowns now for the year. Maybe, maybe one or two more, I guess. I don't know. Uh, 11-6 uh, Bills and 4-13 Jets for for the season. Tampa Bay annihilating uh, Carolina. Not a strong rushing performance altogether for the Panthers. Sam Darnold, two scores but a pick to, to go with it. Tom Brady for 300-plus yards and three scores. That run game, you hope they get some of their guys back because... Despite some scoring, kind of pitiful right now. But to have uh, Mike Evans get hot at the right time, Rob Gronkowski to be the top guy right now, 137 receiving for the year, well, for the game, excuse me. And the defense to do its job, I mean, they face uh, Philadelphia in the playoffs. So Tampa ends the season 13 of 4, Carolina 5 and 12. Be curious to see if Matt Rule gets fired, but I don't know. And the last game of the season, huge nail biter, LA Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. 10 and 7 Raiders to end the season beating the 9 and 8 Chargers. Back and forth game late in it. Just nutty, just the amount of passes thrown by uh, Justin Herbert. Austin Eckler got to 20 total touchdowns for the year. 12 rushing, 8 receiving for the year. Herbert threw for 383 and 3 scores, but he did throw a pick. Pedestrian game for uh, Derek Carr, but no interceptions. He threw two scores and went 86. Josh Jacobs putting up a pretty good game. And Hunter Renfro getting two scores despite 13 yards receiving. You know, there was a lot of questions to whether or not the uh, whether or not the game would end in a tie. And with that, it could have uh, sent Pittsburgh packing before before they thought about getting ready for their game. But considering that the Maddens all were together and they lit the Al Davis torch, I don't think John Madden, if he was still alive, would approve of what uh, the Raiders would have done if they tied it. So they eliminated the Chargers and another season where the Chargers just can't get past the hump and get into the playoffs or even if they do make the playoffs advance far enough to get to the Super Bowl. It's almost like watching the Minnesota Twins in a way. They just struggle so much. But But unlike 
the Twins, the Chargers can at least win playoff games. It just seems like no matter the coach, no matter the players on the team, they just they can't get past that hump. So the big games for uh, wild card weekend, super wild card weekend, whatever they try to promote as. I don't like the concept of a Monday night playoff game. I just it just seems kind of hokey, and I'm not sure it will be a big ratings grabber. But who knows? Raiders, Bengals, and uh, Patriots, Bills are the first games Saturday the fifteenth. I don't think the Pats and Bills faced each other in the in the playoffs ever. I'm not counting AFL championship stuff. I don't think they've ever faced each other. Period. Unless unless something different, I guess I don't know. Raiders and Bengals face each other for the first time since 1991. The last time they faced each other, the Bengals ended Bo Jackson's career with his uh, hip. I think it was like a hip pointer. Philadelphia gets their chance to face uh, Tampa Bay. I'm trying to think of the last time they faced them. 2002, I think. And man, classic 90s. Actually, the the two the three Sunday games, Philly and Tampa, San Fran and uh, Dallas. Think about it. Back in the 90s, Steve Young versus Troy Aikman, Jimmy Johnson versus George Seifert. It'll be a little different compared to what we've seen back in uh, 1992, 93, and 94. And Steelers face the Chiefs. If I remember, the last time they faced each other, there was a tight game in 2017. The last uh, season Alex Smith started for the Chiefs. And there was a penalty on a two-point attempt by Kansas City, and the Steelers advanced. At least that's what I remember. And Arizona versus L.A. I don't think at any point that these teams faced each other in the modern-day playoffs. I don't think that ever happened. So, a couple firsts and some revisitings. So, yeah. Going to be an interesting weekend. I'll say that. I think you're going to see some tight games between Arizona and L.A. Dallas 49ers, I think, could be a really fun one. Will be hugely tight, I think, for Buffalo Pats. Bengals Raiders can go either way. I feel like the Chiefs will run away with their game against the Steelers. Same with Tampa against Philly, but any given Sunday. So, yeah. Man, pretty lengthy uh, sports thing. Took about half hour. Nutty, man. So, so nutty. How about some movies? Because I believe Spider-Man still web-slinging to number one. I think this is the fourth straight week that uh, that the Marvel superhero has had 
being number one. I'm trying to think of the last time there was a movie that was number one and was producing these pretty good uh, numbers. Seriously. So, overall, for the weekend, Spider-Man No Way Home, number one, the number according to Box Office Mojo, just made a little over $32 million. And the numbers altogether has reached over a billion and a half. $668 million domestically, internationally, $867 million. A little more to add to those numbers. So altogether, $1,535,856,116. Might be really that... You know, as I keep saying, people want to see these type of films. They want to see the recognizable characters. I don't think people are going to give two cares. I mean, the numbers will still be okay, but I don't think people are going to care about Doctor Strange. I, th- I think there's more of a love for the Spider-Man lore and the Spider-Man universe. And that's why those movies have... The Spider-Man stuff has done so greatly in the last five years. Number two, Sing 2. Making a little over $11.5 million. Made over $100 plus million now here in the States. $190 plus million worldwide. You know, not, you know, not a lot of kids' films out. Probably the only kids' film you could think of right now. Seriously. So this new release, the 355. So I'm going to go into my thoughts into why I think why I think this movie flopped. So this made only 4.6 million dollars and the critics are not impressed with it. And honestly, this is just my take on it. Do people really care about Jessica Chastain? Or is she one of those like names in Hollywood that film crews think that she can be able to drive a movie theater a movie to box office office success? I, mean, I know there's Zero Dark Thirty, but I think that's more based on at that time when that movie was being made, it came fresh off of the uh, killing of Osama bin Laden. And they did their movie. T- I'm not sure if it's based on factual stuff or not. I doubt it. But it, they did their own take of it. If if this is their own take of it. And not to mention for Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, the first big movie for Catherine Bigelow. The director. Since um, her movie The Hurt Locker. Which I believe won her best director in 2010. And really, the other the other actresses for the film, uh, you know, they just they're not names you think of for for being uh, topply material. Not to say they're bad actresses by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just not appealing to people. And probably just the way they do probably the CIA type stuff, like secret agent things. It just doesn't get people interested in them. 
I don't know. This looks like it's going to flop badly for Universal. King's Man, uh, number four, made a little over th- $3 million. So it's still hanging around, kind of. Still in the top five, so there's still people that are interested in seeing the film, but still nowhere, not, probably not going to get anywhere near the numbers of, uh, of the previous films. An American Underdog hanging on at number five, making just a little over two plus million. Actually, I want to take a look at the top, the top ten. So, Matrix Resurrections, one point eight million. I can't imagine Warner Brothers being very pleased about their numbers for 2021 just on account of some of those big budgeted films that they put out flopping very crazy and altogether for Matrix Resurrections 124 million considering marketing I wouldn't be surprised if this lose tens of millions Uh, West Side Story 1.3 million not sure what the budget is for the film, but it's done a little over thirty million and fifty plus million worldwide. Ghostbusters Afterlife one point one million. I think the numbers for this movie are right around where at least domestically where where Ghostbusters 2 was. I'm going to take a look at that for a brief second because oh, it, it, it surpassed it whew, probably a few weeks ago. Ghostbusters 2 back in uh, 89 made over $112 million. Okay. Never mind. Actually, I, I actually kind of want to go back because Worldwide is a lot probably made quite a bit more money worldwide than it did uh, they don't have the numbers for it but probably made a little over 200 million worldwide if I had to assume and actually Afterlife's pretty close though probably won't reach it uh, Licorice Pizza which I think is that stupid Paul Tom Anderson movie. Nobody cares about this guy's films. It's just one of those fluff films that gets nominated during award season and somehow it miraculously finds its way in several categories. Just uh, less than $20,000 shy of, uh, of a million. And number 10, House of Gucci, which I think is that mob film. Actually, it's made over $127 million worldwide. Just inched its way to $50 million. Just kind of a slow, slow time, if I had to assume. Or people just trying to get to some of these movies that have been out for a while. 
maybe to avoid like the huge crowds if I had to assume so. I mean, just just making assumptions if I if I had to say so. So the only big movie coming out this upcoming weekend is is Scream. So Scream Five. Sesame Street was supposed to come out this weekend, but now it just got removed. Kind of curious about that. Like, that's just, that's strange to see. Then again, I can't imagine it doing all that great. That's just my take. I actually want to take a look and see why that... But then again, early early year release or end of the year release for Scream. I mean, Scream has done pretty well, all things considered. Just so nutty, just that it would be like an early January release. I figure maybe February, March. But, yeah. Curious as to see. Hmm. No news on it. Hmm. Sorry for the. Sorry for the, uh. Dead air. Let's see what else is coming out. Uh, let's see. Redeeming Love just got a release date. I actually saw a trailer for this uh, while watching American Underdog. So that that could do okay. Let's see. King's Daughter, King Louis the Fourteenth. Not sure if people will bite on it, but you never know. I mean, these are actually January 21st, so... Nothing really uh, at the end of January, but Moonfall in February, as well as Jackass Forever the first weekend of uh, of February. What they call their final crusade. So I didn't mention this. Um, but just a quick TV thing. Definitely some revampings for uh, ESPN as a channel. So one of the big things that they uh, that they are doing is I think they're trying to capitalize on on uh, what they did with Manningcast. So Manningcast is uh, ESPN two having. Uh, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning watching the a few Monday night watching some of the Monday night games, uh, whatever particular game is is being played that Monday. They'll have guests on. They'll do their own analytics based on what they've seen over the years, their experience of football, and they're looking to do something like this for. Uh, for uh, baseball. They're going to 
they're actually revamping uh, Sunday Night Baseball a little bit. And they actually got a different crew now for for the Sunday night for the Sunday night games. It was Matt Vaskersian and Alex Rodriguez last year. I didn't know Vaskersian was leaving after uh, after uh, last season. Now, if this does come into play, if the season does get underway, if they can get out of this lockout. Uh, it's going to be Carl Ravitch, Eduardo Perez, and David Cohn. It's an interesting crew, and I think I think this group will do okay. I think there will be a lot of questions as to how people will view uh, Cohn's analytical commentary. So, they're going to have a thing called K-Rod. Now you might be thinking to yourself, what the heck is this? Okay. So, they're going to do a Manning Cast type thing. ESPN. And they're going to do eight eight games of K-Rod with Alex Rodriguez and Michael K. I don't think this is a good idea. You, you. I feel like you run out of ideas very quickly with a baseball game versus versus a baseball game, and with this type of telecast, uh, Michael K will def, definitely have to do a lot of talking because when he calls a Yankees game, he's usually pretty quiet. He usually lets the game play out. I'm not sure if it's Based on hey, you know I've talked so much on the radio back in the '90s, you know I, I don't know. I just I feel like this would flop. But then again, unless they find ways to keep it entertaining and have people that know the sport greatly be on there, sure I I could see it doing okay. And. I'm just going to take a look briefly because I feel like there's something else that just for a brief moment hmm. just trying to find just for a brief moment I thought there was something I saw something online I don't know if it's true or not but uh, something like their basketball stuff I, it's not even a big deal anymore uh, anyway moving on lastly to uh, to gaming not really a whole lot to get into other than Microsoft claiming that uh, Xbox Series is outselling all previous Xbox consoles in the same time period of their release dates. I 
kind of find it a little hard to believe a little bit. I I I, I do believe it, it. It probably is outselling the original Xbox, very obviously. And it wouldn't surprise me if it is outselling the Xbox One in the same time frame, given how much Microsoft screwed up the uh, Xbox One launch in terms of pricing, DRM, the camera, and just bad publicity during its reveal in 2013. So they obviously have picked up quite a bit and learned from their mistakes of the Xbox One. That said, outselling the 360, I find that to be a little difficult to to believe. Because the 360 was the lead choice of platform for the uh, for for its generation of gaming, and it I mean it did well for a reason. Just looking for so, so I'm looking for uh, something about a hmm this guy I don't get Phil Spencer I really don't just says a lot of things and it's just some of the stuff they do. I don't know, it's just, this guy, I mean, this is something that I'll talk about for a uh, brief second, and this is according to an article on GameSpot, uh, calling for a cross-platform band program, which uh, I guess he talked to the New York Times saying that it would be super difficult, it would be a hard one to achieve. And I think the reason is, is that you have now where you're playing against people, okay, say you're playing Rocket League. You could play Rocket League cross-play on PS4, the Switch, I believe, and computers. Four different platforms. Now, I think I'm not sure what specifically Spencer is going after. I'm I'm assuming people that cheat, obviously. More than likely, anybody that has like a PC and has specific like bots or some other tools to to cheat their way into winning a game of Rocket League. And obviously you have stuff that's been prevalent for the good part of 20 years of people berating you, bullying you, saying uh, derogatory things. I mean, that stuff obviously has to be taken care of. And, I don't know, just the rules and stuff that goes on between all the platforms, I mean, could be radically different. But as far as um, going back to, to the Xbox stuff, 
I mean, they're, they're, they're doing stuff right. They're getting people back into playing Xbox. They, they've learned their lessons, you know, the hard way and are trying to be redeeming of themselves and trying to make friendly talk with Nintendo and doing all this stuff to to ensure that they survive in the uh, gaming industry. That's what I think Microsoft has been trying to do over the last three years, maybe a little more, especially when uh, Spencer took over. But I do think they they do need to show numbers of how well the uh, Xbox series is doing. I think it's doing decent, but I'm not sure it's reached the numbers of 360. I know PlayStation's at least reached 10 plus million with uh, PlayStation 5, and who knows what's on the horizon for uh, Nintendo. I want to say they've reached at least 100 million switches, but hard to tell. I don't know. But regardless, uh, the next couple of years are going to be interesting because down the road, obviously, the uh, PS4 and Xbox One are going to be phased out at some point. I think there will still be titles for both of those systems. The, the question is, how much quantity will there still be? Because I could still see plenty of small developers and publishers continuing to do work on those platforms. And I wouldn't be surprised if we still see some indie games appearing on those two systems in 2024 and 2025. But that's a hard thing to predict. But I'm also looking at the PS3 and Xbox 360 a little bit. Because those two systems... And I'm looking at PS3 mostly, by the way. Getting still some indie stuff by by 2017. Granted, it was a very small amount. But still, you're going to see some small peop- small developers put work into the system. Switch, as far as I know, probably still has a couple good years left before Nintendo puts out another system. I think with uh, I think with the Switch two more full years and after that I could see it maybe lasting another year and a half, two years to where it's been on the market for about eight years or so and have a lengthy life not as lengthy as the NES but still very serviceable I think it's just a matter also not the not the small titles but if any big titles that are attempted on on the system and if they can even work on the Switch with the downgrades and all. They're still getting some downgrades of some games. I mean, the fact they got Crash Bandicoot 4 this past year, you know, there is a, there's still a market. It's just a matter of what companies are going to put out titles. And it's getting some of the love that PS4 and Xbox One is getting. 
the question is, will it get that same sort of love for um, that Xbox uh, series and uh, PS5 will get? Only time will tell, and speaking of time, should wrap up this episode of the podcast. As before, this is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. So head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jacks. Plenty of content awaits you. So with that, this has been episode 97. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, take care of yourself. Take care, everyone.